Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Humagrow Farmer podcast with your host, Larry Cooper. Today on episode eight, we're talking about tank mixing fertilizers and other agrochemicals. Our guests are Dr. Moshtaba Zaifnijad, Senior Director of Field Research and Technical Services. We'll refer to him as Dr. Moj. And Mr. Jason Garcia, Florida Sales Manager and Agronomist for Biohumanetics, Inc. Before we get started today, I need to give a disclaimer. Mixing agrochemicals has become a routine part of modern farming, but it's also one of the most dangerous things that farmers do. We advocate always wearing personal protective equipment when mixing chemicals, which may include overalls, aprons, footwear, gloves, chemical-resistant glasses or goggles, face shields, and respirators. We also advocate always first reading the product labels to know what safety precautions are recommended and the mixing instructions for each product that will be mixed. Some of the instructions and examples we will discuss today may not be applicable to all cases. Therefore, reading and following the product manufacturer's labels must override any comments made here. The label is the law. What we are talking about today is intended to be only for general educational purposes and should not be taken as advice on how to mix specific chemicals. Always consult the product label on the product manufacturer, distributor, or sales representative before mixing any agrochemical product with another product. On the show notes for today's podcast, located on the Humagrow website, we've posted two references. The first is the product mixing guide and pH chart for Humagrow liquid products. The second is a publication from the Purdue University Extension Office titled Avoid Tank Mixing Errors, a Guide to Applying the Principles of Compatibility and Mixing Sequence. With that housekeeping out of the way, let's go ahead and begin. We decided on tank mixing for today's podcast topic because we found that way too many people are wasting product or making products ineffective or even dangerous due to improper mixing. Mixing is always going to be with us as growers need to cut down on field passes to be most efficient with their time and resources. But there are basic principles in play that will make tank mixing more effective and more efficient, and that is what we're going to cover today. Dr. Moj is going to discuss these principles from the scientific viewpoint, and Mr. Garcia is going to bring us a practical in-field perspective. There are entire courses taught on the proper tank mixing procedures, and we can't cover everything in as much depth as we'd like to in a single podcast, but we can cover the basic principles, so let's go ahead and do that. To begin with, every grower needs a tank mixing plan. Some of the components of that plan should include what are objectives of applying certain products to plants and soil, to fertilize, to prevent or cure insect or disease problems, etc. What types of products are going to be mixed? What individual products are going to be mixed? How many? Are there potential incompatibilities? What do the individual product labels say about mixing? Are there warnings? In what order and concentration should they be mixed? What is a mixing water source and what is that water's pH and quality characteristics? Has there been a recent water analysis conducted? Are there timing considerations in terms of how quickly the mix needs to be applied to the field? Are there warning signs to be aware of that something may not be right? So let's drill down to the details. Now I mentioned in the introduction that it is important to always read each product's label for specific mixing instructions before mixing, that the label is law. Dr. Moj, talk to us a little bit about product labels and product mixing. Well, Larry, thank you very much for uh, putting this together. I'm sure it's going to be beneficial to a lot of growers and farmers in the industry. And what we are going to talk about in many cases will be probably preaching, will be preaching to the choir. But however, we'll just cover the basics and we'll discuss it, the labels and other mixing uh, 
important factors that we need to pay attention to. Like Larry said, reading the label and label is the law and reading is a very important step in applying chemicals. And some people say you read the label first, then you save a lot of money. And when you read the label and follow it, in true sense, you will save a lot of money and time. And then you will be able to be successful in either applying the material with a good result to your plants and crops, and or maybe I mean, in some cases it may not. So just generally to discuss what the label contains is basically you have the labels, you have the brand name on the label, you have the what type of products it is, and it gives you the EPA establishment number, what's in the ingredient, what's the active ingredients and inner uh, ingredient, then you have the common name on the label, and then you have the single words. Like, for example, you have danger, which means highly, uh, or danger, poison means highly toxic, or you have uh, just danger, which means can cause severe eye damage or skin irritation. Then you have another uh, signal word is warning, means moderately toxic, either orally, thermally, or through inhalation, and which causes moderate eye or skin irritation. And then you have the another uh, signal word is caution, mean, meaning slightly toxic, either orally, thermally, or through inhalation, which means uh, causes slight eye or skin irritation. The other things that uh, you find on a label is some uh, precautionary statements, information about possible hazards, information um, that can be found in MSDs, and then <clears throat> hazardous material, how it can this particular product can be hazardous to human or uh, to domestic animals, the, how it can be hazardous to environment, and then the physical and chemical hazards, which describe any special fire explosion or chemical hazards that product may pose. Then you have the first aid or statement of practical treatment on the label. And then other things you may find on the label, it, you will see the direction for use. I'm just going to read this. Uh, it says, it is a violation of federal law to use any pesticide in a manner or in a manner inconsistent with its labeling. We just want to make sure that I read it uh, word by word. We want to make sure that what we mentioned here, like Larry said at the beginning, it's important to follow the label. Label is the law. Now, what other things you may read or find on the label is the direction, the label, uh, direction for use, which might tell you what pest the product is registered to control, where the product can be used on plants, animals, locations, how to apply the product, how much a product to use, when the product should be applied, how often the, uh, to apply the product, how soon the crop can be used or eaten after an application, when crop uh, and animals can re-enter a treated area after applications. And then you have other information such as storage and disposal of that product, which explains how to best store the product and what to do with, with the unused portion of the product. And then also it tells you 
at what pH, a lot of um, products will tell you at what pH range your tank mix should be that is very effective. And sometimes they may say that uh, maybe if you store it at this length of time in a tank mix, the product might not be effective after one hour or two hours. And those kind of information are very, very important for all the um, chemical users to understand and follow. And so I just briefly discuss what is found on the label. So label is your best friend in many ways. Um, that's all I have regarding the label, Larry. Thanks, Dr. Moj. Jason, I mentioned the importance of paying attention to the water source that is going to be used for mixing. Tell us more about that. Well, you know, it, typically we start each season and, and we pull a soil sample. And that soil sample basically paint, paints a picture telling us what we need to do with the imbalances of our soil. And I would encourage any grower to do the same thing with their with their water their water source and do a complete water analysis and and i hope dr Moge will jump in at once i'm i'm done but um basically that that water analysis is going to tell you the chemistry of your water uh, what you know is it hard water uh is, are there bicarbonates in there things of that nature and that is very important when it comes to doing tank mixing and what growers need to know is that can change over the course of the season. So testing pHs and, and as Dr. Moj mentioned uh, previously, that there are certain ranges that certain, uh, certain products that, that, that are being applied, they have to be at a certain pH range. So testing your, the, the end pH of your spray tank is very important, but you have to have a baseline to begin with, just as we would with the soil. So it is very, very important to, to have that base range and know exactly what your water chemistry is. And Dr. Moge, I, I would love for you to elaborate on this. Well, uh, that's correct, uh, Jason, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And it's it's very interesting that they have done a test. It's sometimes we talked about pH. I mentioned that Jason mentioned it, that, for example, you have a product that is very effective, let's say, at neutral pH or at 6 or 7. You, when they, they did a test that when they put uh, some of the products, material, in a pH that uh, was at, let's say, uh, one log higher, let's say pH 8, the water of that pH, they found that at the optimum pH, that product was effective and stable for five hours in the tank mix, in the tractor on the uh, uh, tank. But when they raised the pH to about seven or so, they realized that the stability of that product was you only had one hour to apply that product because it will it would lose its effectiveness at a high pH compared to when you had that optimum label pH range. That thing product was uh, basically effective and really good for the uh, effectiveness of the material for five to six hours. So you had five to six hours to apply the material and be effective compared to the other higher pH where you had uh, only one hour to apply the whole 
material. So especially if you, <laughs> Jason, I'm sure you've seen some of the big uh, rigs out in the field and or even the nurse tanks, there are two, three, uh, 1,500 gallon tank in it. And it takes a while for it to use that up that material or it depends on if you are going at the very low volume per acre, it takes a long time to use up that material. And if you have it at the wrong pH, by the time you get to the last, let's say last round, the last uh, run to apply it, you'll be probably applying the only water as effectiveness as the water that's not gonna do any job. So uh, having the reading the label, knowing what which uh, optimum pH you should work with and adjust that your irrigation water to that pH is very important. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, when, when you take a look and, and each, each region of the world could be a little bit different. Um, but when the more that you run your irrigation, the pH range will, will change. And regions that I work, that I've worked in throughout my career, uh, you, you might start off and, and a lot of times when, when growers are not testing the pH of their water, uh, from the get go, we're getting a water analysis, which is again, I'm going to re, I'm going to say that again, because that is very important to see what their water consists of. You know, where, where's their baseline? Throughout the course of the season, the more that that irrigation runs, that pH and the chemistry of the water can change throughout the course of a season, the longer that they run, that, that they run. So for example, if a grower does not do a water analysis and say they start off with a pH of seven, well, there's going to be certain products right off the bat that they are applying that are not going to be, uh, they, 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 they're going to use, they're going to lose their efficacy, if you will. And as the season goes on and they continue to run irrigation, I've seen it where I've seen pHs of, of water at the end of the season that were above a 12, but they were never tested. So products that they were putting out were, were basically a waste of money. They were not getting the effectiveness of what that product that they were putting out was meant to do. Yes, Jason. And uh, it's interesting that I work in other parts of the country. I've observed similar things. And that uh, pH change and the hardness really can affect, you know, for example, I've heard that uh, you've seen that sometimes they say that your optimal level of the grains, five grains uh, in the, your, the hardness of water that you are using for foliar application of material, it's around five grains, which some it around uh, 80, 85 ppm, basically, that's the hardness, that it's uh, uh, caused by your carbonates, bicarbonates, and other elements. And then when you go above that, which is very common that you have the higher grains, like anywhere from nine to 12 or so, which equals about maybe around 260, 70, or 50 ppm. They've done a test that the effectiveness from uh, about that low grain to the higher grain, they lost effectiveness of the material by 50%. So if you are applying your, let's say, foliar feed or your, uh, let's say, fungicide or so, when you add that material to that water, the effectiveness is you're 
you've spent, you wasted half of your money. Now, you want to make sure that you overcome that hardness and increase in pH of the water. Some people use buffers, uh, uh, agent buffering agents in the tank mix. Some add acidifying agent and other things. And so just if you do that, which is very important to do, like Jason said, make sure that you do a test that it stays that long because sometimes even adding some buffering agent or acidifying the water, it cannot last for a long time. So you only mix the amount of water that helps you to stay in that effective range and use up that quickly before it loses its effectiveness, then you start, uh, you make a new, mix a new tank and for your uh, material to apply it. So that these are things to consider. And, and Dr. Mode, you're absolutely right. You know, one example, and I, I'm not going to mention a name brand, but there's many fungicides that are utilized uh, throughout the world to what we call a root dip in our, you know, in our industry. And I have been to fields where you can see it to the row that all of a sudden, what Jason, what's the problem? Well, when you look at the label, they, they mix up a big, a big trough of this product to root dip in. And when you look at the label, as you mentioned earlier, the importance of reading the label, that product was only going to be effective for two hours, but they used it for two days. So it goes right back to where you started and where we are, where we have progressed right now. Now, I know that a lot of growers are going to try for the greatest efficiency by mixing and applying as many products as they can at one time. Jason, what should growers be mindful of in that regard? Well, what they need to be mindful of, uh, Larry, is they need to be mindful of, again, all of this will revert back to the label. Uh, what what pH range does does each product need to be in? Because each product could be it, it can vary um, the length of time. As Dr. Moj has mentioned earlier, that the efficacy will will remain. And to me, the fewer products that you put into a tank mix is is better. I have seen growers, and I still have growers that put 13, 13 different products into a tank mix. And again, it goes back to the compatibility issues and, and pH ranges are, are huge when it comes to fungicides and insecticides. Yes, and uh, one of the things, uh, as you mentioned, is I just uh, thought came to my mind that I know and uh, the compatibility of multiple things that you bring a lot of things into the picture. Some products, not a lot of them, a few of the products, uh, sometimes you read on the label, they say that they don't want you to p adjust the pH. This works anything. If you change anything, it's not going to be effective. Now, the, you add this product in combination with another product that is demanding for you that when you tank mix it, you adjust the pH to a certain level. And you combine these things, you're a, you have a catch-22 situation. And who's the loser? The bottom line. And the plants were suffering because of the insect damage and the disease damage or so forth. So it's very, very important to take everything into the consideration. You cannot have a put the blinders on and just do one certain things. We want to be broad and open-minded and 
educate ourselves and the best uh, source of education is that label and the manufacturer and the representative and the people who are supplying that products. So to summarize that, the fewer products you mix, the less chance you have for incompatibility issues to come up, correct? That's correct. Yeah, and, and, and Larry, the, Larry the, the other thing with that is, like, just like Dr. Mode said, yes, correct. Um, and I, I think we'll talk about this later, but when you have an incompatibility issue, then you're going to have a mess on your hand. Number one and number two, uh, to me, the, the drive home on this particular session is you're, 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 the more that you mix, you're not getting the return on investment that you think that you are as a grower, basically because of not incompatibility, but because of the, the variation of pH ranges, because you're trying to put too much in the tank. So that's, that's what I want to drive home. Most labels will advise the grower to conduct a jar test of the products he's going to mix. Dr. Moj, tell us about the proper way to conduct a jar test. The jar test, uh, I'll perf uh, basically I'll give you as an introduction, why do we want to have a jar test? Well, we want to have a jar test because sometimes uh, there's a physical incompat incompatibility. That means when you mix two things together, one, it might be settling uh, your product right at the bottom of the tank, and there is no way to mix it into the solution. You might have uh, the product is very, uh, loses its effectiveness, and you need to know both physically and chemical incompatibility that your product is gonna do the job. If it's, uh, for example, you might mix it with some products that as far as the chemical incompatibility, which occurs, it might occur, it might causes that your product is not effective anymore. Or you might just mix this thing and off you go, and then pretty soon all your nozzles are clogged up and you have a big problem on your hand. You, the rain is coming, you only have three, four hours to apply the material and to resolve the issue in the field, and your tractor is down. So it's important to do a jar test to see if your the materials you're combining together, if it's compatible or not with each other and with the water. So for the jar test, what you need to do is, like, it is very helpful to know what Jason mentioned, to know the chemistry of the water that you're dealing with. When you are doing a jar test, you always, you wanna make sure that you do it in a, uh, let's say a cup or a glass container, when if it just in case, when you combine a few materials, some of them may give off a lot of heat. Now, if you use a, a plastic container and pretty soon it might melt in your hand. I mean, I'm taking the, the extreme. So you wanna do in jar, a jar test in a container that is uh, basically temperature proof in a sense that it won't melt in your hand. And then another thing you need to do and need to know in considering your jar test is you wanna use you look at the label, and then based on the label's guideline, you look at it, what is the lowest concentration or the uh, tank volume you should use this material in? Some 
product says, well, we recommend that you don't use this material, you spray it or apply it in less than 20 gallons of water. If that's the case, that should be the ratio of the amount of water that you are going to use in your glass or uh, jar test, in your jar. So if you are going to use it, let's say you're, you're going to go 50 gallons per acre of water with this material, I, for a pre, as a precaution, I would go and do a jar test for a 20 gallons, the minimum that the label is asked. On the other hand, when I do a jar test, I use the highest level, highest rate of that or amount per acre of that material. So I have the lowest amount of the volume of the water or the carrier. In some cases, we have carrier fertilizer, liquid fertilizer is the carrier. And in most cases, the carrier, liquid carrier is the water. I use the lowest amount of that, and then I use the highest concentration of the material in the, in the jar test. And that, then I have it all covered because if something is going to go wrong, usually it happens at the extremes. If I do my jar test at the extremes, then, and it passes the, uh, the test, then I know I'm very safe. That's one of the things. Another thing is that you don't want to do a jar test with the water that is not coming from the same well, so-called. You cannot go home, get the uh, water that is out of your uh, kitchen sink, which is probably very different in regard to the chemistry, the temperature, and the quality of water and from the, your uh, water from the well. So you want to make sure you use that water that you're going to put it in your tank mix and you do a jar test. That's another thing. Another thing I would do, I do a jar test a day or two days before my, <laughs> I'm going to apply the material. The reason is that let's say if I'm going to do a jar test half hour before I mix my tank, well, here I have brought, I'm ready, lined up, a few tra tractors, spray tractors, and paying all these guys come here, and everybody's ready to go, and I do a jar test, right? I'm ready to go, and it's not working. Well, <laughs> what happens? So it is, it is good to do a jar test a day or two days before that, and that's, that's a great thing to do. And I'm take, I mentioned on the extreme, temper, uh, extreme um, volume, low volume, and highest concentration with multiple products that you're going to combine as companion products. I also try to do that under the extreme conditions of the weather too, if you can. Because I know one day we did a, we ran a product and we did a test and <laughs> which is funny, we did our homework a couple of days before and the jar test was fine and everything else is okay. It's ready to go, let's go guys. Then I think early in the morning, one day, uh, I call, I received a call, it says, Moj, what happened? This is not mixing. And it was at very early in the morning. I don't remember exactly how. It was quite early in the day, and the temperature was really cold, <laughs> very low temperature. So that was kind of puts, uh, delayed our operation too. So these are some of the things that I'm sure all the growers, people who tank mix and uh, mixed material and apply them, they know it, but I just want to make sure that these are important things to consider when you do your jar test. 
So uh, it's interesting. When we are doing jar tests, we need to treat it as we are in the real field, meaning we are dealing with real products. Uh, the hazard with those products is the same. In a way, if we are doing a jar test or uh, we are feeling of a uh, tractor uh, tank, in the, we need to have our PP, uh, PPs on. And I highly recommend that you take it, don't take it casually or any growers. And I'm sure a lot of growers and farmers know that. That So it's important just as a side note and actually very precautionary important statement that when before you start your uh, jar test that you will put on your PPEs or any people who are handling the uh, chemicals. So, Dr. Moj, you mentioned early on the importance of ratios. An example of that would be if you're going to have 20 gallons of water and you're going to put a gallon of product into the mix, when you do your jar test, you'd want to have 20 parts water to one part product, right? So in the jar, maybe 20 milliliters of water and one milliliter of product that you're going to mix in. A ratio in the jar that's the same as the ratio you're going to have in the mixing tank. That's basically, yes, your your fluid ounces per uh, gallons of water or... Uh, dry fluid ounces, uh, dry ounces to the amount of water and all that. Yeah, that's correct. Exactly. Before mixing products in the spray tank, sometimes it's advised to make a pre-slurry. Jason, talk to us about that. Well, it's it's kind of a, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit redundant on what Dr. Moj talked about. It's a number one checking for uh, compatibilities, what you're adding to that tank and, and reading that label and and following the, the proper mixing procedures and when you're adding water soluble products, well, the, you know, dust can be a hazard and, and it's, it's a, it's a habit just to fill a tank up and let's just dump 30 pounds of this in. And that's not the proper way to do it. Um, you're going to have clumping. You're going to have, you know, it's going to take longer for everything to come into solution. Uh, you might have some products that might be that that are compatible, but need to sit a little bit longer. So if you if you are able to mix those prior, that's a that's a great way to do it. It, it slows it down. It doesn't make it as hot, and makes it easier to add to your spray tank. So the the bottom line is, if you can do it prior, knowing that. That there's, you know, if you're monitoring everything that you're doing, it makes it easier to get into your spray tank, get it out onto your field, and keep the efficacy of each material that you have in there. That is the importance of making a slurry prior to application. Is that going to be mainly with the dry products, guys? Something that you know might have problems mixing? You're going to mix it up with a little bit of something ahead of time to make sure that it's going to go into the larger solution better later on yes you know a lot of times yeah when you uh you have liquid fertilizer the liquid fertilizer as your carrier that is highly recommended because especially uh, things dissolve in water a lot easier and faster than when you have a liquid fertilizer and that preload slurry like if you have a clumps of things and if you put it in a bucket or a smaller container before you put it in the larger container, like Jason said, you make sure you you um, get it into the solution and slurry, slurry and runny thing 
then you add it to your fertilizer tank, then it's much easier in a uh, fertilizer carrier tank. And it actually it's helpful also with the, when you, your carrier's water as well. Larry, I, I, I would compare it to this. You're, you're going to make a pot of coffee. So instead of putting it through your filter and letting it strain, you're basically, if, if you just take that pot, fill it with water and dump, dump your coffee in there. Um, uh, as far as to simplify it, it's, it's, it's going to take longer. It's going to, you're, you're going to have to do a lot of work to have a pot of coffee. Many products come in a liquid form, but it's still a good idea to mix that product well by shaking it in its original container before adding it to the tank mix. This ensures that the active ingredients will be well dispersed before they are added to the final mix. Our products all have shake well before using on their labels, and it's a good idea to do that to get the best mix in the tank. Now we're coming to the very important area of mixing order, and I'm going to ask Dr. Moj to speak to that. Yes, that's a very important uh, important concept to always to consider when you are mixing uh, different materials in what order. So let's say um, if you have the water as a, your carrier, you want to start with the water-soluble packets, and then you go into the dry formulations dry formulations such as the uh, copper or water dispersible granules or wettable powders and soluble gra granules. Then, uh, then you have the, for if you have to use ammonium sulfate, that's when you go uh, as uh, number three. Then you have your dry or solid anti-drift agents. Then you go with the compatibility agents or anti-forming agents, anti-formers. Then you add that. Then on the uh, sixth uh, level, you go uh, order, you go with the, your dispersed uh, liquid formulations, such as uh, suspension, concentrates, flowables, emulsifiers, and emulsions, or the micro capsules. Then after that, you, you put your liquid drift retardants. And on the eighth order, you go use the remaining liquid formulations. Then on the 10th order, you have the adjuvants. Then you add, on the last one, you add your uh, micronutrients uh, or different kind of liquid fertilizer. This is your uh, water, if you are using uh, water as the carrier. That's important. Now, this is what I, you know, we were looking at the, as the Larry mentioned, this is what is suggested by the Purdue uh, publication, which we agree. But... It's very important also, sometimes the company that makes a certain uh, product, you need to look at theirs also, their uh, instruction on what order you should use their product. Uh, there is a general concept, and when you look at different companies, I've looked at many uh, instructions from different chemical companies, at chemical companies, and there is a slightly differences between what company A is instructing how, what order to put things in uh, compared to the company B. But point about maybe the majority of the time, basically they all follow the same things. But again, it is nice to kind of make sure uh, you understand what the company is recommending and follow that, each uh, chemical company. If when you're using the fertilizer as a carrier, then here you make the pre-slurs, that's a very important thing. And for the, uh, just finishing up with the water, if your 
adding material to water in your tank, maybe you want to have it 50% uh, full when you add your material. But since the liquid fertilizer are denser, there are specific gravity or pounds per gallon is higher for fertilizers, things do not dissolve as fast and easier. In this case, you want to make sure you have uh, easily uh, around 70% of tank is full of that liquid fertilizer before you start adding the material. And the first order is like we put the pre-slurries of the sol water-soluble pouches or packages. Then you put the wettable powders, the, the dispersible, water-dispersible granules, and then you have sol soluble granule granules for the the first line of products you put in that in the when you have the fertilizer as a carrier then for the then you go into the the same thing as you did in the water you put the pre pre uh, slurries of dry anti drift agents then you put your compatibility agents on then the on the first or uh, fourth order you start with your dispersed liquid formulations then you have your liquid drift retardants and then the remaining liquid formulations then adjuvants then the your micronutrients and so basically as you notice that we always put our uh, uh, the fertilizer last and it's very important also <laughs> we always talk about uh, i i remember when i worked in a laboratory in an analytical laboratory the law and the rule was you always add acid to water, not water to acid. And if you want to do that, I mean, we don't have too many of materials that's very acidic. Of course, some of us, some of our material is, but if you want to see a kind of a fireworks in a nice small uh, scale, just add some uh, <laughs> a few drops of water to your sulfuric acid and you will see what happens. So it's highly recommended that you don't do that. You start with a high volume water, then you start with your acids, then you move into your uh, bases. And then you always adjust your pHs. If, again, going back to our uh, things, if the label says it's okay to adjust the pH of your material, you adjust the pH of your material at the end because that's when stability, if you start at the beginning, well, of course, it's practical that, you added more material, things chemistry is changed. And so you add, you adjust the pH of your material measure and adjust it at the end. And the same thing when you do your jar test, that's the order. You adjust the pH at the end. And then you wait to see if that, uh, the stability of the solution is there. And then if it's ready to go, then you run the tractors in the field and you make sure that, uh, even though you did jar test, you still look at it to see in the when they are in the tank in the on the tractor. You still wait to make sure that there is everything is in order and uh, there is no problem. It's it's nice. To, it's a lot easier to catch the problem at the beginning and resolve it at the beginning rather than when you start your tractor, you clog up your uh, all your lines and nozzles. So these are some of the things that we like to kind of uh, bring to the attention of the people who are uh, 
applying them, mixing and applying the materials. So Dr. Moj, as people are going through and adding things in the order you just recommended, do they need to be careful about how quickly they're adding these things in? Yes, they, they are. I mean, you add them, you make sure the first thing is dissolved. It's a lot easier. You, uh, if it's uh, dissolved in the water, in the whatever the carrier is, it is dissolved, then you add the next one. You wait a few minutes between adding each thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, that's correct. Well, and, and Dr. Moch has, I mean, he hit it on the head. I mean, you know, when you're, you know, after you do, if you're doing a slurry and, and everything's good and then you're putting it into your spray tank, uh, the only thing that I would add is is to make sure that you have constant constant agitation as you are mixing and follow what Dr. Mode said is on, on his guidelines there. And, and it's not a matter of just, you know, just dumping products into a tank. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a procedure and, and certain things need to be done a certain way. Growers could find a, you know, find that they spend a, a longer period of time trying to get some of the, you know, some of these dry products where they're not clumping and not, you know, messing up their spray nozzles and things of that nature. If they if they don't listen to what we're saying or what the label says, I mean that that's that's the bottom line. We had mentioned earlier that some products are going to lose effectiveness if the grower waits too long to apply the mixture to the field. Jason, are there any considerations to time that we need to make once that tank mix has been prepared? Oh, absolutely. You know, again, a lot of this comes back to what Dr. Mode started out with is is with a label and the label will tell you how long it's effective. I, there, I can't tell you how many times throughout my life that I've seen growers mix a product and they let it sit. And next thing you know, they're like, I don't know why it's not working, Jason. And I go out there and I look and I see what they're, what they're mixing. And that only, that, that only lasts for two hours, but they held it for two days. Well, so effectiveness, you know, the label, not only is the label the law, but the label also will tell you how long the efficacy will stay within that product. And it's up to the, it's up to the grower. It's up to whomever they're buying product from to also help educate them as we're trying to do today to make them understand that to where they're not wasting money. Because as Dr. Moj, uh, alluded to earlier that basically at that point they're spraying water. Now we can't talk about tank mixing without talking a little bit about our own Humigrow products because most of our products are liquid and contain our proprietary microcarbon technology. They're tailor-made for tank mixing. Dr. Moj and Jason, talk to us a little bit about your experiences with tank mixing Humigrow products. Well, Humigrow products, we know it's very, we have a wide range of basically from a to Z. It's a one-stop, uh, one-stop shop for when we are growing plants. And I just kind of like to talk about that microcarbon technology briefly, which is it helps the plants. It complex the products. It mobilizes and in, enhances the efficiency of the plants in uptaking the nutrients and mobility within the plants and systemic uh, movement of nutrients throughout the plants. And when we we are going to mix our Humigro materials or biohumanetics materials, we have uh, anywhere from around pH of one to all the way to uh, very basic alkaline uh, products at the very high pH of 
as high as uh, 14, 15. So we need to make sure that we start with, uh, as we mentioned earlier, we start with our uh, acidic products. Then we move up the ladder. The nice thing is on the back of our uh, catalogs and also on our website, it tells uh, the user what the pH of those products are. So you start with the lowest pH, then move towards the higher pH products. And again, ours is not any exemptions. Uh, the users and the growers and they need to read the, our labels as well. So that's mine. How about you, Jason? What's your experience with the, in the field? Well, and I would agree 100%, Dr. Moj. I think when it's all said and done, if, if, if you look at the Humagrow products, there, there, there are some, you know, we have, we have several that, that may be somewhat that you want to slow, add them slowly or maybe make a slurry out of them, especially when it comes to super false and super K, but can they, are they compatible? Yes. But it's all, it's all about reading the label, volume of water, things of that nature. Cause I, I, I've mixed all of our products pretty much together and never had a concern. So it goes back to what we talked about earlier is how many components, how many products are you putting into that product and where do they need to be? Because you can adjust the pH of your spray water very simplistic in, in very many, in, in very many ways. So I agree with a hundred percent with what you're saying. So are there any particular products at all that we need to be concerned about in the Humagrow group? Not necessarily. I mean, uh, that microcarbon technology mix helps a lot of things to work a lot together and easier. But again, we just follow the same procedure. We recommend that uh, the handlers and the ones who are mixing just follow the label and start from acid to basic material and the things that Jason pointed out. That's basically very simple. The, the the beauty of microcarbon technology is the complexing. I mean that that's the bottom line. And when it's all said and done, you can mix a couple of products together that are complex with microcarbon technology. Uh, I do it. I do it all the time. I make recommendations all the time to the growers to, to put our max pack with super, you know, with, uh, super potassium or our max pack with calcium. I mean, they're, they're just so, there's just so many things that you can do with them that you can paint your own picture, if you will. So when it's all said and done, yes, do we have to speculate, uh, certain products? And, and make sure that certain products are applied a certain way. Yes. The majority of our products, when they are put together in a formulation, you've got a win-win all the way around, whether it be foliar applied or whether it goes through a drip or things of that nature. I've done all kinds of different things with our products and I, I get amazed on what I see and what the growers feedback actually is to me when they call me and say, Jason, I, I don't know what's in this, but it works. And when you get that kind of feedback, that's, that's what you're looking for when you're looking at Humagrow and that's, that's what you can expect. Okay, good. So I know, I know you two have been around long enough to see some serious mixing mistakes made. 
Let me open it up to the both of you in terms of stories that will help illustrate the importance of proper ta tank mixing. Well, I know uh, we had uh, in one field, we had drip tapes and they decided to use uh, phosphorus. Uh, they added phosphorus into the mix. And this was a kind of a hard water, means had a lot of calcium carbonate. <laughs> and they clogged up the emitters and the holes on the drip tapes and actually had to replace it when we had that problem. So it's very important to make sure that you know your water, even if you think you're injecting into the high volume of uh, your phosphorus into high volume of water, it, you have to be careful on that. But the beauty of the microcarbon technology and humigrow material is that when you do that, you don't have that issue. It's a very, it's a powerful mixture of material that even some we put in calcium and with superfos we have, you don't have that issue. Uh, Jason, I'm sure you had some stories as well. When a mishap, when a mishap happens and you find something that you did not do um, that was brought up earlier that Dr. Moj spoke about, as far as a jar test or things that I've talked about as far as a slurry, and you just dump things in the tank. Okay, now now what do you do? You just put a bunch of stuff in a tank, and you now you find incompatibilities. What's the first thing that you're going to see? Well, the first thing that you're going to see is you're going to see it precipitate out. And what I mean by precipitate out, you're going to see the liquid come to the top, and at the bottom of your tank, you're going to have a slurry of basically slime. So how do we deal with this at that point? Well, you can A, can try, continue to try to agitate it, which if you already have your tank full, it's going to be diff difficult to get all of that into a solution because you already have met the incompatibility of what products you put in there. So when it's all said and done, the only thing that you can do is try to clean that tank out the best that you can and try again, to be honest with you. I mean, that's, that's an honest answer. And Dr. Moj, if you have a, a different answer to that, I'd love, I've seen it many times out in the field, but if you have a different answer to it, I'd love it. Well, I think you covered it pretty well, Jason. I think as soon as I highly recommend that as soon as you see uh, settling in or something in your tank, don't try to shoot it through your nozzle. <laughs> your tank that way. <laughs> so uh, sometimes we try and talk him into it and it's not going to work. Just as soon as you see it, open the things and dispose it in a way that it's the regulators uh, recommended the cleanup and dispose in the way that is according to the environmental regulations and then move on and then it's a learning experience and make sure that it uh, it is not uh, causing any further uh, problems and delays and loss. And that's what I would do. Just accept it that it's not working and uh, hopefully you already had done your jar test. It has shown it, but sometimes you never know. Because one of the things that's interesting is that sometimes you buy a product today and you do a jar test. And then next year you go and buy the same product and you think, oh, I've done my jar test. It's always working. 
And then this year you put it in the tank, it's not working. So it's important, again, read the labels because sometimes they, the manufacturer, maybe it has uh, uh, changed the, some of the inert materials that is not uh, displaying the same nature or any the same uh, characteristics. So that's very important. Some of the things uh, that has happened, they bought the same thing from this year from last year and it's not behaving as far as compatibility is concerned so that's also if you did it before try to do it again this year and because things might change one of the most important things that i can recommend to any grower or any any retailer that is that are mixing our products in with theirs is the importance of flushing and making sure that the lines are clean because that's where a lot of incompatibilities can take can come into play. And once it happens, there's certain products that will happen the instant that you start applying or sending a product into a storage tank or applying a product into a delivery truck, what have you. And what you are going to end up with is a mess. So it all goes back to what Dr. Moj talked to at the beginning of this conversation is reading the label, knowing, you know, the, the compatibility between products. But more importantly, in my opinion, doing a jar test on what you are trying to send out to the field or what you are trying to accomplish going out to the field pH of your water, pH of, of what the label says were what you're wanting to add, whatever components to make sure that everything is compliant with the effective uh, effectiveness and the efficacy of what you're mixing in that spray tank. So when it's all said and done, it goes back to what Dr. Moj originally talked about and what I talked about is reading the label and pH. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Moj and Mr. Garcia. Although we've covered a lot of good information here, I'm going to close by recommending that you always consult a product sales representative before tank mixing with other products. Some points to remember from today are have a plan, test the water, read the labels, jar test, wear the recommended personal protective equipment when mixing and applying chemicals, and doing the jar test, by the way. Mix chemicals in the proper order. Check the final pH. Apply in the proper time frame. Keep agitating the mix while applying. Stay alert. Pay attention. Be cautious and don't rush. If you follow these steps, you should have a good tank mixing experience that benefits your crop in the way you intended. I'll also mention again that we put a couple of handouts in today's podcast show notes that will help you along the Humagrow Mixing Guide and the Purdue University Extension Office Handout, Avoid Tank Mixing Errors, a Guide to Applying the Principles of Compatibility and Mixing Sequence. If you need to get in touch with Dr. Moj or Mr. Garcia regarding any of the topics discussed in today's podcast, drop a note to info at humagrow.com and we'll make sure they get it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Humagrow Farmer. Keep following these podcasts for the latest information on enhancing your crops using Humagrow products. Grow healthy.